Ahoy there, friends. It's me, your old pal, Cowboy Kevin. Thank you for checking out this very, very unique, special, near and dear to my heart episode of the Out of Chair podcast. This was from behind the pay window over on our Patreon page, patreon.com forward slash AE podcast. Adam and I sitting down to review the iconic Attitude Era inspiration that is... Limp Biscuits, Chocolate Starfish, and the Hot Dog Flavored Water. This is one of our... This is an example of the type of content you get by becoming a backer over on our Patreon page. You can subscribe for as little as $5 a month. You can drop out at any time. There is no commitment. And as well as episodes like this, you've got big in-depth reviews of wrestler autobiographies and books in the Bibliotech. As well as that, you've got all of the SmackDown Crawl series. We review all the SmackDown video episodes gamesmanship that is and a new installment has just come out two and a half hours it's clocking in at nearly where we look at no mercy on the n64 and i can easily say hand on heart it is the biggest most ambitious and best video episode we've ever done if you like the sound of that and you like the sound of the episode you're about to listen to why not become a backer and support us over a patron we don't have ad breaks or corporate sponsors during this show and it's because we are 100 percent fan and listener supported and that's the way you like it and that's the way we like it as well a big shout out to all of our backers as always and if you've not joined us yet over on the patreon page enjoy this episode see what you think of it and don't forget to check out as well on the feed we've got a new free episode as well saturday night's main event with myself and billy all right let's settle in and get ready for some serious nostalgia with an asterisk All right, partner, you know what time it is. Keep on listening to the Attitude Era podcast. <laughs> Hello, everyone, once again, it's me, your old pal, Red Cap Kevin Man, joined as I am always by my favorite motherfucker, Adam Bibolo. I have a lot of favorite motherfuckers. Mm. How are you doing today? I'm, 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 I, I wasn't expecting such a hard question right off the bat. How am I today? The question is, hey, I, I never opposed this idea. I thought from the start, this was a good, fun idea, but I will say, I dreaded it. It it took you out by surprise when I brought up the idea of doing this, right? Yes, I was not anticipating you to suggest this as an idea, because why (laughs) would you? (laughs) Right, exactly. It seems seems like a little bit outside the scope of a wrestling podcast. And then you think about it for more than a couple of seconds. Limp Bizkit, wrestling... I think this is a very much, I don't think there's a single album or a band we could actually go for that everyone who's listening probably has a bit of an opinion of or something of an experience with because you were interested in wrestling, vicariously or otherwise, from the Attitude Era. Yeah, that is absolutely right. Like, I think everyone that grew up in that era of time will agree that Limp Bizkit and wrestling are inherently tied together. But when I was sat down the other day, like, pulling faces at my iPad while I was listening <laughs> to this album, Alice turned around and she was like, what are you doing? And I was like, listening to Limp Bizkit. And I was like, why? With re- reviewing Chocolate Starfish on the podcast. Okay, why? It was like, oh, because it's so inherently tied to wrestling. Oh, okay, how is it inherently tied to wrestling? 
Uh, well, Undertaker came out to Limbiscuit and they used a song for one pay-per-view. And actually, now that I think about it, that's not really a huge amount to go on, is it? Okay, okay. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Fucking slow your roll there, all right? This is don't, borderline. Don't bring up WrestleMania 19 because I wasn't watching at that point, so that doesn't count. Who, who are you? The front man from Stained or Puddle of Mud or one of the many other bands <laughs> who had beefs with, with Limbiscuit and Fred Durst <laughs> over the years with your valid criticisms? You say that, a fucking a broken man yeah <laughs> me who's who's all excited and ready to talk about this album mm. is going to say that one of the greatest icons in the history of our sport rode to the ring rode to the mm. ring to that iconic song mm. and then the most iconic feud of all time when it reached the peak of their greatest feud at the greatest WrestleMania of all time, yeah. with the greatest match of all time, with the greatest twist of all time, and at the end of the day, crowd maybe okay. were <laughs> a little bit sweeter for the Limp Biscuit, my way, yep. supposed to the rolling, yep. be that as it may, System of Down could not make it to <laughs> WrestleMania 19. We got... We managed to get Fred Durst in 2002. We managed to do that. Now, you're right, actually. That I hadn't really considered that. It's not about the amount. It's not the quantity. It's the quality. And the exactly. two things that Limbiscuit are associated with... Well, I mean, American Badass Undertaker is kind of there. Nah, but we can at least agree that the My Way video package from WrestleMania 17 is still the greatest video package of all time from the greatest pay-per-view of all time. So, yeah... Based on that alone, I think we're fine. We're okay to do this. And I'm going to come at you now with a little bit of an introduction to, to how, you know, I got into Limp Bizkit, and I'm going to ask you then how you got into Limp Bizkit, because, yeah, that's on the surface level we're talking about our relationships with wrestling and Limp Bizkit, notwithstanding 2012 when Fred Durst gave the middle finger when he got on the hard camera at SummerSlam and then was asked politely to leave. And then later on in an interview, he said, he no, he didn't get asked to leave. He just wanted to beat traffic. <laughs> <laughs> Woo! I think it goes a little bit further than that, Adam, because I want to cast your mind back to maybe 1999, early 2000s, mm -hmm. when... The likes of Limp Bizkit, Korn, and all other sorts of heavy metal popular music would have been on the MTV2, mm. the, the QTV, the Kerrang. I'm talking about all of the music videos. You used to sit down and watch a big beefy load of music videos just like I did back in the day, right? I did, but I would say the bulk of my music video watching came after the Attitude Era when we were like, mm. oh, I, I don't watch wrestling in the morning anymore. Now I watch fucking Kerrang! and Skulls and Rockworld.tv. So before, what during the Attitude Era and during the height of my wrestling fandom, is I wasn't really that into music at that point yet. I'm not exactly sure of the exact time or day, but all I could say was it was definitely by the time that not only was i watching wrestling mm. i was a fully throated properly properly a wrestling fan mm -hmm. through and through my favorite game was wrestlemania 2000 on the n64 mm. i had strong opinions about early wrestlemanias having watched them on videos like um, the friends i seeked out were those who also watched wrestling mm -hmm. and like you know if you knew anything new about wrestling that i didn't know oh my god i've just seen ecw for the first time adam and then my brother when he would be chain watching alternative music videos on <laughs> on that television all of a sudden, a song comes on, and I see what appears to be a solid steel cage get erected. And a couple of these ne'er-do-wells, who wouldn't have looked too out of place at a rock and roll wrestling show in the late 90s. I'm talking, they were dressed like ECW wrestlers with their black t-shirts and their baggy trousers and their, their runners. 
and they sang a song. Can, can I just say, th- this could still be 21 seconds to go by So Solid Crew so far. <laughs> Steel Cage, Black Clothing, like, I'm still waiting to find out who this even is, Kevin. Well, it could have been anyone, mm-hmm. but only one person, a poet, a philosopher of his age, could sit and poise the spiritual question. If only we could fly! Mm. Limp Biscuit style, and that's when young Kevin got taken to the Matthews Bridge. I didn't even know who John Otto was. I was enraptured. It is like someone... I return around to my brother going, is this, a, is this like a wrestling... Wrestling? <laughs> it's a, it's Sean, it's a steel cage. <laughs> and he's got green shorts. I think I'll give my creator wrestler in SmackDown one green shorts <laughs> next go around. And I fucking loved it, Adam. Mm-hmm. It blew my mind. There was swearing. Yep. Don't give a fuck. Mm-hmm. Fuck this. <laughs> fuck that. It had that kind of... Oh, you shouldn't be watching it. Mm. Although it really feels like it's pitched exactly for me and my my type at age nine or ten. Oh. So I was fucking obsessed from the get go. I was obsessed, and my brother was mortified because my brother loved all proper music, you know. And he was like, "Oh God, now my brother's like a limp biscuit kid," and he was worried that I would get bullied in school. Oh. And I remember going to get my first limp biscuit album. It wasn't this, it wasn't Chocolate Starfish, it was the one that came prior, mm. that has break stuff on mm-hmm. it, and Nucky and whatnot. Uh, so, I went and I got Significant Other, mm-hmm. I remember it very clearly, it was in a 2 for 20 in a CD shop in Galway, and my brother literally had to give me the talk, and he was saying, like, you know, you're going to not want to tell people about this. Jesus. And, and, and as well, this is the real kicker, he was like, specifically, when you go to secondary school, because he was already at the school I was going to, he's like, mm-hmm. you definitely don't want to mention this as in saying that i was either going to get bullied or fall into a wrong crowd now all of a sudden i'm a big limp biscuit fan i'm enjoying the the album and fucking undertaker comes out and he's got kid rock and yeah that's kind of cool i guess but i'm talking about october 2000 then it's okay. a fucking near year later roland comes out chocolate starfish and the hot dog flavor water come out mission impossible fucking two comes mm. out and then before you know it, it's wrestlemania 17 and adam this album was almost an exclusive topic of musical conversation in my first two years of secondary school. Mm. Whether you liked it, whether you hated it, whether you thought Fred Durst sucked balls, or whether you thought that he knew a tight lick if he, if he saw one. So, complicated feelings, but it's worth saying, we're not a musical review podcast. <laughs> if you are upset in any way about our fucking memories from 20 years ago about a stupid fucking album... Just don't bother telling me because it's it's not it's not worth it. There's nostalgia and joy here, but I will make fun of it. Yeah, and I think that's fair. Like I was chatting to my friend Brogan about this the other day, and she is like genuinely, unironically, a big Limp Biscuit fan, and she knows that you know you've you've got to make fun of this album. Like it's so tongue in cheek yes! and it's so old from twenty years ago. Like you can't not make fun of this album when you're talking about it. And I think. A lot of Limbiscuit fans will understand that, you know, it's okay to enjoy it and poke fun of it at the same time. So hopefully we're not offending anyone with our review here today. No, I mean, obviously we, we lost a big chunk of our audience after our, our aggression review where we, were, we said all sorts of terrible stuff. <laughs> but, you know, it is, it is worth bearing in mind as well. I thought I wanted just to, 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 to let everyone know there's ever been any sort of a knock-on effect with my life mm. with regards to podcasting and what it's done to me. 
it is that music is literally no longer my life. You know, I used to I used to be a, a preeminent disc jockey mm-hmm. in Flirt FM in Galway. I was nominated for a Community Radio Award because I liked music so much. And if you saw my Spotify rap this year, right, <laughs> and you take away the playlist there specifically for when you're doing very specific things, mm-hmm. I've listened to, like, music that is at the end of JoJo's Bizarre Adventure and not a lot else. Yep. So to say that there is no room for music in my life anymore is an understatement. I don't have any music, really, physically or digitally anymore. You know, I will commend you this, for that. This was nice. This was nice to come back to music. I will commend you because I remember a few years ago you did make the conscious effort of saying like right i'm i'm no longer you were like ringo star you were like i'm never gonna listen to music ever again peace and love i've simply got too much podcasting to do and i thought i thought you were being silly but you actually stuck to it and it's been a good two or three years now you're a man of your word exactly i mean look i just fell in love with a band i really connect with which is binaural beats to study to (laughs) you know they're they really speak to my soul adam how did you take John Otto's hand and get to the Matthews Bridge. What was your introduction to the Limp Bizkit world? So this, the point in time we're talking about when Limp Bizkit were like riding high, I would have been, what's our age difference again? Are we like three years apart, four years apart? I'd be like three years apart, three, so yeah. yeah. So I would have been a little bit younger. I was at that point in time, the only music I'd really listened to was stuff like Scatman John, the cartoons <laughs> with their version of the Witch Doctor. I was very oh, much yeah. into the novelty singles aimed at kids kind of thing, which no disrespect to Scatman John, but that was like a big appeal for children. No, 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 it's true because I believe that Scatman John very much was the dust in the turkey of his genre, you know, uh, gone before his time. And I remember not really caring about metal or new metal or rock and roll, any of that stuff. But I did see an album on TV being advertised. It was called Supercharged. And it was like a compilation of all the best new metal bands of the time. And I remember on the advert seeing like Chad Kroger from Nickelback going, and I've been wrong and I've been down. And I heard that one little bite of that song and I was like, oh, I do like that. And the next time I went to see my grandparents, I had a chat with my granddad's next door neighbor who I don't remember his name, but he was a right dodgy fella, like dodgy Nick or something like that. And every time we'd go around there, he'd give us these A4 pieces of paper with like text on them. And it was basically a list of PS1 games, a list of CDs, Amazing. all the stuff that he could get for us, basically get dodgy. Like I got small soldiers on PS1 from him and I'm still grateful for it to this day. Whoa. On there, he had supercharged. So I got it off him. And I listened to the Nickelback song. I listened to uh, Ich Will by Rammstein and it terrified me because I was like nine years old or whatever. But that sort of like opened my eyes to the world of new metal. And then... Can I just say, Adam, you getting an illegally (coughs) pirated compilation CD is like the sweetest thing ever. I don't know why, but those two things, it being a compilation CD and you getting it from a dodgy neighbour, together make it like, oh. He really tried his best as well. He would print out the album cover and everything and he would type out the track listing for you on the back and all that. So that got me into like the world of new metal a little bit. I remember asking him for some more Nickelback CDs when I saw him again. And then like a month after that, Undertaker came out to roll it. And I was just blown away by this cool song and i remember on his titantron you could see fred durst there in his red cap and i was like he looks pretty rocking so then i went to my granddad's neighbor and i asked him could you get me a copy of this chocolate starfish album i've been hearing so much about and he got me that and 
what I I told myself for years that I grew up with that CD and that I used to listen to it all the time as a kid. And now I'm remembering after having listened to it today that I would listen up to the point where Rollin was on the CD. Uh-huh. And then not listen any further than that, pretty much. Yeah. Um, spoilers for the second half of this review, but much the same as what actually <laughs> yeah. uh, became apparent to me. And many of the songs that I was convinced were actually on Chocolate Starfish were actually instead on Significant Other. Yeah, Break Stuff is not on this album. And I spent years thinking that I grew up with that song when I guess I just heard it on Kerrang! at some point. It is an interesting... If you're going to view it as like a match card, you know, for wrestling... It's pretty top heavy. They've loaded all yes. the like, you know, they figured that Lesnar wants to get out of there early and all that, so they, he's on, you know, the opening uh-huh. contest. They've really front end loaded it, like, you know, and it is a, not an album of two equal halves. It will say another thing. I wanted to ask you. I, I guess it's something you maybe didn't get to to witness as much if you were getting them vis a vis a dodgy mm. neighbor as opposed to you know a legitimate CD house, which of course there are. Over a dozen left in the world. <laughs> I was wondering you know, if, if you were missing out on... You didn't get, like, an enhanced CD because I figured that Limp Bizkit, as well as being a band that managed to make one album that was had so many music videos, mm. so many tie-ins, so much fucking money to be made, but also they always had, like, enhanced CDs. So you get, like, making-of documentaries, oh, bonus tracks, yeah. deluxe hidden... Like, I was looking at their discography on a, on a lyrics website earlier today, mm-hmm. and every album has got a version that has, like, four hidden bonus yeah. tracks. And I had the bonus version back in the day. We're not reviewing the bonus tracks. <laughs> and they were always mm-hmm. shit. Like, even... I would be like, nine and be like, <laughs> I honestly... I can't answer that question because, as I've discovered, I didn't listen to the second half of the album possibly ever. So it was whatever was the base version of Chocolate Starfish, I guess, is what I had. And in terms of Limp Bizkit World now, because, you know, they were all over the place here. Yeah, I felt like that Fred Durst was always doing or saying something funny on MTV. Mm-hmm. Be, if he's going to be on TRL Live, blown up a boat for Spring Break yep. or whatever it is. But did you get much of a sense of, like... Not just the music, but the hype around the band. Like, did you like see things like the Ben Stiller's in the Roland video, or like you know the fact that it was such an intermedia piece of work, so synergistic? Were you like thinking it was a Limp Bizkit world, and you were just a part of it? Yeah, I figured because it was so heavily used in wrestling, and a few of the other boys at school liked Limp Bizkit as well. I kind of took it as read that they were these really popular bands that everyone sort of liked. I didn't know about Ben Stiller being in the video. I probably didn't even know who Ben Stiller was back then. But I do remember one of the things that sort of cemented to me that like, oh, this isn't just a wrestling thing. These guys are a big deal. Was the first time I saw the rolling video was on CD UK, which came on after SMTV in the mornings. Oh, big deal, man. So when it was on there with like the likes of fucking Sugar Babes and whatever, like really popular music was on there. I was like, oh, okay. So these guys are a big deal, I guess. Yeah, I remember the first time I was as a youth disco and rolling came on. Oh, now, people, there were people who were like, what is this? This is, this is not, this is not pop music. I mean, I don't want to talk too much about him because, mm. yes, he's complicated, but I feel like I could do, you, you said to me at the start of this, you know, before you recorded, this ain't how to Fred Durst. And no. I think that, that is worth bearing in mind that a man who even back then was such a fucking complicated ball of fucking conflicted mess Mm. and i think a lot of times when there is a celebrity from like 20 years ago who was a bit like edgy back then Mm. and if they like you know 
do something really cool, if they do something kind of really brave, like becoming 50, all of a sudden everyone is like, oh, Fred Durst, no, no, no. And I went through this week thinking I was going to ask everyone on Twitter, give me your Fred Durst facts. And then I was going to check around just kind of, who are the people who might be you know, talking about or kind of or era of stuff, not just wrestling, mm-hmm. seeing what they think about it. And around 50% of it was, oh, like Fred Durst, he had like a blog about juice fasting. Or I was like, oh, Fred Durst, he really got into jazz music because he saw La La Land. Oh. And then it's like, oh, Fred Durst has blood on his hands. There's like three people who died at a concert in Brisbane. Yeah. Who, who he has to answer. And there's lots of that. And I felt that if we went too hard in either direction or spent too long on it, we're going to end up either saying this lad's a fucking killer mm. or he's a fucking cuddly old man. And I don't think he's either. No, I think it's fair to say that like he is definitely a polarizing complicated figure that is somewhere shades of grey it's very murky water but (laughs) I want to make it clear that that's not our intention today we're not here to pick apart Fred Durst the character we're here just to talk about this album we just need to talk about him Fred Durst the performer (laughs) Uh, and and Adam I think look whether you're for him or a get him what is Fred Durst still a redneck fucker from Jacksonville oh Oh, can we talk a little bit about... Because they, they come up so many times in so many different parts of the songs. Some of his little voices that he does. Mm-hmm. Hey, I'm Fred Durst. Oh. I'm a number I have such little tolerance for any of them. Sorry, but could the real Slim Shady please stand up? Mm-hmm. Can we talk about that? It's the same fucking you're thing. You're right, you're hey, right. He, now he, there's a, there's a, there's oh. that kind of, you're like a long foul. He's got yeah. that. <laughs> and he, even that I wouldn't say that he came up with because I'm pretty sure the Prodigy had a couple of tracks with like a noise in the background. So like none of it's really his. No, it's just when Fred heads into rap, I think we'll have to have a little bit of a chat about how it maybe wasn't as unique as it may have seemed in the context of new metal music. There's a point I want to bring up. It's sort of like the late 90s, early noughties. We sort of have a good feel of what was considered cool back then, what was considered yeah. edgy. You got things, Wild Wild West. Yeah, you got people like Slim Shady is like a huge figure in music. And then over here, you've got a man called Fred. And I just, I really need to hammer home how strange that is to me that this man in a backwards red cap saying fuck this and fuck that, his name is Fred, Kevin. That's such See, an old man name. For you, it is over in England where you probably like, oh, there's Fred down the shops. He only goes into town if he's wearing slippers. Fred might have been the guy next door to my granddad for all I know. <laughs> like, it's such an old name. Dodgy Fred. He's probably like fucker Fred or something like that. <laughs> but in Ireland, very, I knew no Fred, so... So it was exotic, actually. So, ooh, Fred. But, like, even Fred Flintstone is like a relic from the 60s that as a kid you're like, Fred Flintstone? That's a little old. The name Fred ain't cool. No, no disrespect to any Freds out there. No, and you know what's a, a, big, a big thing about that, and I only kind of understood it in years later, because when you're, I don't know if it's like where you were in West Bromie, Boingers, Oingers, okay, Oi, Oi. enough of that. Uh, I don't know where it's like. We we got a, a message in there where it's like West Albion used to be part of Bromwich. I know, I know, I know. I think that's at you actually. Not it me. was West Bromwich Albion used to be in Staffordshire, and I'm like, 
all right? I really, really couldn't care less. This is your fault is that people think that I really am passionate about West Brom now. Hey, you love the boiler, man. I don't, don't blame you. <laughs> For fuck's sake. When I was, in, I was in a boarding school, right? So I, I obviously had a lot of kind of international students. Mm. And yeah, I mentioned way back, I think it was our season three episodes, we were talking about my interactions with the, the kids from New York and stuff mm-hmm. when 9-11 happened. So I had a little bit of a relationship there with, with a couple of the guys. And I do remember a big bone of contention because the American guys, they like wrestling. They like talking about how shit George Bush was. Mm-hmm. But Jesus Christ, Fred Durst, eh, eh, that, no, eh, no, wrong. Fred Durst sucks balls. Fred Durst is a limp dick little piece of wow. shit. Every, they would talk such passionate mess about Fred Durst. And I always thought, yeah, actually, if you're Irish, or I don't know if it's the case when you're English, that stuff that's American has got, ooh, there's a movie now from Hollywood. Mm. It's got a cowboy hat on it now, has it? <laughs> and Fre- Fred Durst probably is like a much more embarrassing American if you're American than if you're like a 12-year-old European child. Yeah, no, I think you're right. I think being from like the British Isles, you sort of have like that buff for anything from America is immediately a little bit cooler because it's America. Hey, it's Fred Durst. Sure, everything's big in Texas, huh? <laughs> Kevin, we've been putting this off. Are we going to start looking at this album? I think it's time, Adam, that we strap ourselves in. Listen along if you want to, folks. We're going to have a little snippet uh, just for illustrative purposes. Mm-hmm. We have listened to the album. I listened to it yesterday, mm-hmm. full through. I listened to it this morning while I was making my eggs. Mm-hmm. So I've got a note-taking and a non-note-taking listening have taken place. How about you, Adam? Have you have you had a listen through? Yeah, I listened through and made notes the other day and had a really, really rough time of it. I'm not going to lie. This is a long album. It took you ages. I started around the same time as you. I was done in an hour. And you were like fucking night losing dark out, and you're like, I'm still here. I kept taking breaks. I, I couldn't listen to it in one sitting. Then yesterday, I listened to it in one sitting, had a very rough old time. Then this morning, I just skimmed through it just to remind myself of which track is which, pretty much. Yeah, no, honestly, if I was asked to do a book report on Limp Bizkit, Chocolate Starfish, and the Hot Dog Flavor Water, very easy which I could do it and those of you at home who attempted to do that for a piece of work for school at any point in your life (laughs) I salute you this is for you this is not a test this is reality Yes. Oh. Yes. Oh. Shit. Right. Start. And album. Oh, Jesus. Oh, boy. EV99 here on the fucking mic. Yo, DJ EV99. Get some work for me on the master sale board. God. You know, when it finally kicks in and you get the proper and some like Game Boy bloops That's and bleeps. That's not kicking in. Stop uh, that. Compared to a robot talking, it is like fucking hell. This is a a rough start to the, bring back the days of Stone Cold and Jim Johnston doing a comedy sketch to open your album. Yeah, at least that had a beat on it. That had a nice lick on it. That was tight. I have to remind you, if you're not familiar with the previous Limp Bizkit offerings. That they start a lot of their albums like this with an intro oh. brackets whatever and they're like Bleh. and they can't help themselves because there are like five or six times in this album where they're like 
And, 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 here's yeah. an intro and you can't really sound it. Hey, do you want to hear Fred Durst on a fucking old rotary phone? <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's it's not pleasant to listen to. It's and really I think not. that's part of the appeal, isn't it? As a smelly teenager, listen to something that's a little bit abrasive. Yeah, this is reality, Kevin. And reality is abrasive. I don't care if you don't think it's pleasurable to listen to a horrible robot voice going, <laughs> that's just the way life is. And we accept that us biscuit heads yeah and that's why we're always wondering who is in the house lip biscuit is in there it's something cartman doing awesome or something like some <laughs> shit like just, he notices fred durst going put on that flange oh. <laughs> I'm just saying Kevin Underground has more dignity than this. <laughs> <laughs> At least I did it on a train, not on a fucking actual recording studio surrounded by professionals. <laughs> 20 people with their hands in the cans. Yeah, send in good, Fred. Yeah, do I do another take? This is my album. <laughs> oh, I mean, it sets you up into a feeling of like, okay, this isn't just a record of like 10 music tracks. This album's more of a concept album, Kevin. You know, we're going on a journey with Limbisgit here. Very true. Look, let's get into our next, our <sighs> next. Come on, it's all right. Let's get into our next song now. This one is the first song of the album proper. It's a song that has a lot going on for it because obviously this song is the first one making reference to the hot dog flavored water. It's hot dog. Ladies and gentlemen. Introducing the chocolate starfish and the hot dog flavored water. Bring it on! Literally, right off the bat, bring back that fucking robot voice because the first thing you hear is ladies and gentlemen and it's so unpleasant i had headphones on i don't know about you and i fucking nearly yanked them off at that point it's so nasty sounding when when you hear fred durst and you can't just escape that it's like what principal vicar sounded like when he was younger oh prima some butthead you lame brains you're always bullying why are you always gonna pick on me why are you always gonna, gonna do things like that his voice is horrible, Kevin. It is. But look, let's not just talk about the voice because there's lots of other musicians here. That's true. Like DJ Lethal, who brings it on. John Otto, who's got a sat-nav that tells you how to, he's got the starfish navigation system <laughs> to take you to the, the John Matthews Bridge. And I'd see I do things with my hands yeah. there. The mystery man. I'm talking about fucking he's like the yin and the yang and they spun around into a spiral it's west borland he's like a fucking dream catcher caught in a fancy drape he's too fucking spiritual man i don't know what's going on but he's famously a solid guitar player who doesn't like solos but he likes a good trudgy fucking mm-hmm. and this is where you realise that almost all the Biscuit songs have got a WWE B pay-per-view quality to oh, them. Oh, yeah. Just, I'm going to run down a random pay-per-view from 2004 with this in the background. Well, at No Way Out, you've got Rikishi and Scotty Too Hottie taking on the Basham Brothers, Cole. I don't know what's going to happen. Shaniqua looks mad. And don't forget, Taz, Jamie Noble taking on, get this, Nidia in a bl- bl- blindfold match. <laughs> The world's greatest tag team, they gonna be taking on the APA. And Hardcore Holly's looking to get some revenge, Taz, against Rhino. <laughs> this, it, it's just, it fits, doesn't it? Now, this song, Kevin, Hot Dog, 
This is a famous song in terms of the swear words, right? I think we can all agree that everyone knew this as a kid on the playground because it's so sweary. It's a fucked up song, the fucked up bad, fucked up mom, fucked up dad, <laughs> fucked up do, fucked up D, fucked up boo, fucked up B, fuck, 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 up, 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 fuck. <laughs> I did it, find... It gets the attention. It does get the attention. I, I only bring it up because I found on YouTube there is actually a clean version of this song. I'm just going to splice in a little bit of that here so you can hear what a mess it is. My favourite one is fucked up kid with a fucked up knife and I like I've heard of edgy but a knife Mm. being referenced in the lyrics oh not just a knife but a fucked up knife so I'm guessing like what someone sat on it or something and now it's all bent and it doesn't work proper anymore he mentions titties Mm -hmm. at one point there he's favourite uh, he did it all for the hot dog. Yeah, the hot dog. Yeah, so you can take that blood dog and stick it up your... Yeah. Now, when you when you listen to this, did you do what I did and have the lyrics open at the same time? No, I, I the first time oh. without lyrics, second time with lyrics. But Adam, I like I did Robin Hood for Cinema Swirl the other day and I hadn't watched Robin Hood since I was like seven. Mm. And as soon as that whistle kicked in, I was like, ah, I remember that. And I was right back there. Mm-hmm. Like a fucking pair of old shoes. Yeah. Actually, you know what? More fitting. Like a pair of nice Crocs. That's what uh, <laughs> what this slipped onto. Like, yeah. Because I had the lyrics open in front of me, and when you've got them just there on the fucking the cold light of day on the screen, there the lyrics written out in front of you. I couldn't help but just imagine H A R D Y by Jeff Hardy. <laughs> like a lot of these lyrics give me that big Hardy Boy vibes. Yeah. I, there is a. A thing that he does a lot and I thought was very intelligent as a kid because, you know, he mentioned that he says he does it all for the hot dog. Mm-hmm. Then they started getting to Nine Inch Nails references and yes. then you just start singing the chorus from Nine Inch Nails. Mm-hmm. And I don't think Nine Inch Nails were particularly happy about that. But I always thought it was the fucking heights of sophistication where, like, he, several times in the album, he's like, Chuck a Starfish, just my main friend Durst. Mm-hmm. Or he makes reference to the previous albums. Mm-hmm. He makes reference to other lyrics. He makes reference to a case full of $3 bills. Yeah. $3 bill is their debut album. Yep. As a grown-up, I'm like, all right, that's a bit odd to do in, in music. It almost kind of gets in the way a bit. But as a kid who thought that sitcom tropes and musical lyrics should have the same kind of poetic value... That was the greatest thing in the world. You appreciated a callback, basically. It's like when a wrestler meets another wrestler and both of their characters have changed in the past, but they're like... It's like when Bret Hart came back and he's like, Hey, Jerry Lawler. Giving you the business now. I'm looking at him. And everyone's like, Oh, you know? Just a little bit of a reference there. But there's so many here in this album. Actually, just thinking about it there, when you mentioned Chocolate Starfish, we should probably address the name Chocolate Starfish and the hot dog flavoured water. What age were you when you actually found out what that is? I had no idea. I thought it was uh, Milky Way Magic Stars, which to this day, they're a fucking brilliant sweet, aren't they? What a treat. Just fucking, I I eat a galaxy of those. Oh, oh, oh. Like, I was, I'm amazed that when I was small, I could eat a whole bag of those in one go. And I, mm. I can still do the same. And, you know, even though I've gotten bigger and I've gotten more full of shame, <laughs> I can still attack the gala. So it's pretty much exclusively I thought about that. And if I thought about it more, I started thinking about Milky Way Crispy Rolls mm. as well, which are the second best sweet of all time. I, I was told like many years later, like after long since I stopped caring. Yes, the but same. I had heard lots of different things. I heard it means like, it's an anus. Mm-hmm. But I also heard that 
it was like a self-own because he's like, I'm the chocolate starfish because I'm a shitty asshole yep. and everyone hates me. And it kind of, yeah. That's it, yeah. And actually knowing that, the album does make more sense in terms of the concept album. I think... The sort of the, the concept at the core of this album is that Fred Durst is an arsehole. Yeah. And he admits it and he owns that fact throughout the song. The, the theme is he's an arsehole, but why are you going to be an arsehole to me too? It's, it, there's a lot of that in it. And the hot dog flavored water mm-hmm. came from a, a, a story I found out yeah. from West Borland and they were traveling around and they'd seen at a gas station all these flavored waters you could get from it was a local place that had spring water. Mm-hmm. And he said, do you imagine if it was hot dog flavoured, huh? And I, it might have been DJ Lethal went, sure, look it. And then John Otto said, look now, I'm taking you to the to the St. Matthew's Bridge and we need to make, we're tight for time now. And so would you would you leave your hot dog flavoured washer now and we best be on our way, huh? And then Wes Borland said, I don't think so, Tim, because obviously Wes Borland, relative of Al Borland from Tool Time, <laughs> the Tim the Toolman Taylor. Oh, I also want to point out about my man Wes Borland. He's also the person who is responsible, because I wrote down into Google, who is responsible for the artwork? Yeah. And it is West Borland. And you are responsible for this artwork. And you, I've never been so happy, but simultaneously, like, uh, it, you know? It was so tempting just to do, and I can't believe that we've not mentioned him so far, but it was so tempting to do a William Beauchard and just cut out our faces and put them on the album cover with Pritt Stick. Because it would be so quick and it would be a nice reference, but I, I couldn't no, let that happen. You couldn't resist it. No. Like, I think when Joe saw it, her, her words to the effect of, is Adam okay? <laughs> For fuck's <laughs> sake. Then again, Joe Reed doesn't get this Limp Bizkit. Like, she's bad, very yeah. had to put up with this. She doesn't get it because I asked her, like, what's your earliest Limp Bizkit memory? And she's like, oh, behind blue eyes. I'm like, Jesus. <laughs> I feel like such an old man. It's like Fred Durst with a guitar. I can't play this. Get me Halle Berry. <laughs> At two minutes 43, Adam, oh. we get our grunt of the album. Oh. I'm really happy because that means that me and you chose different grunts for our grunt of the album. We got my one coming up later on. I, you see, I, I'm a I'm a rookie grunt hunter. All mm-hmm. right, you know, I'm 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 barely fucking mm. an apprentice at this. Yeah, I'm, I, I haven't even got my cut yet at the grunt hunters. <laughs> 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 Can the grunt hunters club be like aces and eights, please? <laughs> oh man, I was gonna say like the warriors. You had to go ruin if I say aces <laughs> and eights. Oh. Everybody feels the aces and eights. <laughs> But um, yeah, I, I made the mistake. It's a rookie grunt hunter mistake, mm. a gruncher mistake, which is I found a grunt within like the first 10 minutes mm-hmm. of the offering. And then I'm like, I've done it. And you're there then with your big grunt later on going, <laughs> poor child, you need to search the Serengeti. The amount of times that we've watched like a pay-per-view or something together and we'll be watching it and you'll be like, oh, would that that there, that'd be your grunt of the night? And I'd be like, hmm, I, I, I get what you're trying to do, Kevin, but let's just... Let's just wait and see. I've got a good feeling something's going to come up it's, later on. It's like on. bird watching. You, you got to know to go for the big fish rather than settling for the small one, Kevin. Yeah, you got to you got to sit there. You got to be patient. It's not like fishing in Animal Crossing because there's a, there's a direction to that. Mm. It's more like fishing in a short hike. Patience is the game, Mike. Now, I promised before we got into this album, I promised that I was going to try and do some deep 
lyrical analysis. I... Yeah, and in our pre-recording chat, you kind of put the kibosh on that more than a bit. I, 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 I well, won't do that no more. I thought, like, <laughs> oh, it would be fun to try and dive into the, the poetry of this and try and really yeah. pick apart what it means. But when you've got lyrics like a fucked up saw with a fucked up stitch, I just thought, like, there's not really much I can do with that. So... I went on what is maybe my favorite music website in the world, Genius.com. Yeah. used to be known as Rap Genius. Basically, it's all your lyrics, and then users can submit like, oh, well, this lyric actually means this. And they can put in citations and stuff. Or in the case of this album, they can just speculate on what they think it means. So we've got, uh, I'm going to start this off here. We're going to keep coming back to Genius every now and then. But Great. Our first one we got here is from the song Hot Dog. A fucked up head, it's a fucked up shame. Swinging on my nuts is a fucked up game. And we've got an annotation here from an anonymous contributor who says Fred Durst clearly feels that people need to leave him alone as he makes it abundantly clear that it is not advisable to swing on his nuts and that one got two upvotes right there Kevin so a uh, deep analysis oh I thought he was saying he's like leave me alone I'm trying to wank <laughs> but you know the, you know because I'm just thinking around the time you had you know, Green Day you had songs very much of that nature mm. I, he he mentions he mentions this is Willie more than enough to say at least one of them has to be an analogy for masturbation, I'm thinking, at this point. Swinging on my nuts. Like, I can't in any scenario imagine how that relates to masturbation. We call that a Jacksonville handjob! Oh. <laughs> I hate doing that voice as much as you well, do listen to it. feel us. free to stop at any time, Pat. Yeah, no, 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 we'll stop. Yeah, I'll stop doing the voice. So we're going to review My Generation from Limp Biscuit featuring vocals by Fred Durst next then, shall yes, we? Yes, let's get into that shall if we? you could, please. Yep. If only we could fly! Limp Biscuit style! Now let me set the scenario, and I've workshopped this one, oh. okay? A, a desert island, West Borland and Fred Durst find themselves there. Their creative differences reaching a newfound peak now that they are fighting for their very survival. Food is scarce, shelter scarcer. If only we could fly! Limp Biscuit style! Now, I spent a long time kind of going, if only we could fly, and I, images of Mario with the flying cap from 64 pop into my head. And then I realize, that ain't Limp Biscuit style. That's Mario style, mate. That's Mario style, exactly. I think you'd be more akin to playing my generation over, you know, the bit in the Mario movie where he falls through the wall and he's like floating around in that weird fucking hellscape. That's more Limp Biscuit style, I'd say. He's fallen, not flying. If I, now I've not seen this music video in a good 18 to 19 years, but I'm pretty sure there is a part where they all levitate off the ground, <laughs> isn't there? <laughs> I didn't even know there was a video for this song, actually. There is! It's great! It shows It shows them all with the... Ca like, it, it, I cannot emphasize enough how much it was like an advertisement for like, Hey, you like wrestling? Listen to this band. And it worked mm -hmm. because they were fucking smashing up against the cage. It's like a music video that Jim Ross could have... You could have cut him and gone, Back out! They're singing a song! <laughs> you know? It had that generation. My generation. My jiggy generation. And what I liked about it as well is that this was one of the first songs that had a big... You know, a big edit censorship in it because said go ahead and talk talk about me and 
I don't know about you, but on the playground, we didn't go around, go ahead and talk shit. We'd be, yep. go ahead and talk, eh, 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 talk about me. That's that's my favourite thing, is when a clean version of a song, whether comedically or whether genuinely, is actually better than the uncensored version. There's the song Runaway by Kanye West, where it has the line near the start of it. It goes, caught a looking through my emails. I sent this chick a picture of my dick. But on the clean version, which I way prefer... <laughs> It's caught a looking through my emails. I sent this chick a picture of my hey, which is just for whatever reason so funny to me. And it's kind of like listening to the censored version of this is like listening to like I don't know a phone conversation that's breaking up because it's like we don't ever give up and we won't ever give up till you give give up at me and my generation. The fuck is it is used a lot, you know? Maybe I am just a little fucked up. Maybe life's just a little bit fucked up. Generation X, Generation Strange. I just want to be no power, but I'm being no man. Kevin, stop it. Now, Generation X, Generation Strange. Positive vibes only on my Twitter profile. Oh. <laughs> Look, before we even like... So go ahead and live, laugh. <laughs> live, laugh, love about me. Stop it. <laughs> On Generation X. Yeah, yeah gen- go gener- to Ikea on the weekends, are you? <laughs> it's one of, like, I, c- I can't wait to see how millennials age over time because Gen X, the way it's aged as a generation, is so fucking funny to me. <laughs> you think about Mike Judge, like, doing Hank Hill's voice to endorse political candidates and stuff. Oh, my fucking God. But look, before we even, like, actually really consider doing this, when we started putting the feelers out about, like, maybe people would like us to review this... I noticed quite a handful of people were saying, like, maybe you'll find out who John Otto is and why he's going to take us to the Matthews Bridge. What's that all about? Well, the folks at Genius.com have got you covered, Kevin. Now, can I can I speculate? Please, by all means. John Otto is the drummer, as far as I know. Ding, ding. Who later left the band for creative reasons. And... Um, the Matthews Bridge, I, I speculate on the Matthews Bridge is both a real-life bridge somewhere in Jacksonville, <laughs> and also a bridge, isn't that like a musical thing? It is. Like, a, is that, a, can you have a drum bridge? Uh, I think that's more of a drum break when it comes to drumming. Okay. No, it's, a, it's a musical thing, like, you know, take us to the bridge, but in this specific one, this specific one is a bridge in Florida hey. where countless people have killed themselves by jumping off the bridge. Oh. So that's what Fred wants for the listener, is that we're all going to go there together. Now... It's a fucking miserable time, this album. I think I don't want to go on about it too much because I mean, there is, there's going to be bits later where it's very blatant. But to say that Fred Durst is flippant about suicide mm-hmm. in this album is mm-hmm. fucking... And I get it because when I was 12 years old and I lost my mum's birthday present, I oh. wanted to kill myself. It's that kind of, that, that kind of, I'm going to kill myself. Yeah, in the, in the way that you're 12 and you've, yeah. you're upset in a way that you've never previously been mm-hmm. upset and you're starting to like turn into a teenager and it's like, Whoa! Yeah. And, you know, probably the fact that I was away from home and boarding school fell into that as well. And I'm in two minds because A, I'm like, right, he's like, why don't you go kill yourself in random bits? Or like, look at that knife, stick it in my heart. Don't you do it. I'm going to do it. You know, there's a lot of stuff like that. But that also being said, when I was 12 years old, this was like, uh, yeah, speak to yeah, me. And totally. I don't know if it's, that's why I was like that. And I was, I was a very melodramatic 12 year old. Mm. And then I became a very silly 14, 15 year old. But I don't know if it's because of Fred Durst or Fred Durst helped me through that and yeah. kind of because I had this silly thing I could fucking punch a pillow and be like, why do you hate me? 
Yeah. What did that's... I lose my mom's birthday present? It was a nice scarf. Again, that's the few years between us, I think, because I got that exact mm. same like kind of catharsis from emo music specifically. And it's as much as I still enjoy emo music in like a nostalgic kind of fun, let's have a good time kind of way. It gives me the same vibes as Limp Biscuit, where you remind yourself that like this was a grown man in like his tw- you know mid to late twenties that wrote these lyrics, and they are very very flippant and on the nose, shall we say? I don't know when you know Fred Durst has had a uh, a, a pretty hard go of it as much as he can of being Fred Durst in the fucking nineties and the noughties when you know media as bad as it is, at least there's this kind of air of like what is and isn't acceptable to be reported on. Mm. There's been enough scandals. It's obviously still sucks to be a celebrity for various reasons. But you know, a lot of his angst is quite genuine, particularly when he's talking about, you know, me being full, I'm just trying to eat my dinner and stuff like that, you know. So uh, even though these were the trials and tribulations of a albeit millionaire redneck fucker from Jacksonville, they resonated greatly with me. You know, a sad motherfucker from County West Smith. <laughs> but yeah, I think like I, I I think this is the song out of the entire album though that I enjoyed the most. Really? And it was also it was the one as a kid that was special to me because it was not in wrestling and I felt like it didn't need to be in wrestling. I kinda of felt like it was the one that stood on its own two feet. And like if you if I met you and you like Limbisca, we started talking about this song, that meant to me that you had listened to the full album and you really knew your shit like Yeah. Because you know? this is the one that has the spiritual bit like Who gets the blame? Mm. Who get the blame? And I more importantly, I get the blame. <laughs> <laughs> and then he asks if you think you can fly again. And this is like sums up Limbiscus the the yin and the yang so very well do you think we can fly well I do I do fuck <laughs> it's both sides of the coin right there I, I gotta say this was the um the song I was disappointed in the most because I remembered this really? being a lot catchier and a lot more fun as a kid and it just kind of bored me a little bit as an adult. It's a bit of a mess, like it, it's like twenty different bits all stuck together. I forgot that the go ahead and talk shit that's in this mm-hmm. the Majiki generation that's obviously in this. You know the whole shit about flying and getting the blame. I didn't realize that DJ Lethal bring it on. You know, no, 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 no. How come DJ Lethal and John Otto and Fred Durst all get shouts and Wes Borland didn't? No wonder he left the band later on in the year. Yeah, honestly, uh, I will say this song has one of the most relatable lyrics in it, though. We got this bit here. Do you know where you are? Welcome to the jungle, punk. Take a look around. It's Limp Bizkit fucking up your town. We downloaded the Shockwave and I checked on Genius. That is a reference. Fred yes. Durst used to, Fred Durst downloaded Shockwave to watch Flash videos, which were the hypest thing at the time. And I can relate to that, Fred. 100%. I've been there too. I remember the first time I got the internet, I went on to CartoonNetwork.com, download that Shockwave player. Got to fucking play a cookie cutter Dexter's Lab game. Yes, please. <laughs> it stood the test of time in that it was as over the top as I remembered it. And it, mm. it, it made me go, ooh, even though I've probably listened to this song legitimately a thousand times over the mm. years. So, yeah. And here's another little part of this as well. I don't know if you remember or not, but 
When I first moved to Lincoln and I very first met you, mm. we used to frequent a smelly oh, yes. rock and roll oh, yes. club that has been referenced before. That's going to be coming up a lot in this review. And now and then they pop on the Limp Biscuit song. And mm-hmm. uh, that is when depressed Kevin would let you know that he was fucking Limp Biscuit till the fucking day he dies. Mm-hmm. Because I-, I got a lot of fond memories of shucking and jiving to this bad boy, let me tell you, in a smelly bar in Lincoln. We went there, I was really thinking about it the other day, we really went to that club a lot more times than I actually thought. Like, I always took myself as like, oh no, I never really disliked going out clubbing that much when I was in Lincoln. Me neither. But I think we went there like, almost every month or something, maybe a couple of times a month. We were there quite a lot. Because what it was, was is that we had this large group of friends, which included mm-hmm. legit, like, I say, actual people who want to actually go clubbing like normal <laughs> people. And then there was, like, some of us in here who'd be like, I kind of want to go clubbing, but I also kind of want to mainly go to a smelly place where I can drink in the corner, listen to Nickelback, and talk about wrestling yep. with someone. And yep. that's why we went. And that's mm-hmm. why this podcast got made. It, it legitimately <laughs> is. It was in that very smoking area where a young Kevin Mahan struck up a conversation about Wrestlemania 17 with a young Adam Bibolo. Coming up next, speaking of wrestling, and this hey. one was like, when I got the album, I was like, you guys, come on This now. is just for me, this is. I don't know why the full Nelson was always a really funny thing, because... Like, it was a move that was a big deal in, like, the 80s. And it was, like, a basic... Like, it was just, like, a change-your-position holes in mm-hmm. No Mercy in WrestleMania. So, for me, it was a very weak move. But I remember watching, like, WrestleMania 3 or whatever. And it's, like, you know, Hercules is like, I will put you in the full Nelson. I'm like, <gasps> ah, ha, ha, the full Nelson. And it's a great move. So, this being here, I was, I was very happy for it. It is, again, though, got very big WWE B pay-per-view energy. But yes. slightly more so than that, it's got video package for a big powerhouse we're not quite going to push and haven't yet figured out yet. Just play a little slice of it here and listen to this. This man, Tyson Tomko, is unstoppable, Cole. Oh. The things he's doing in the ring, Rodus Clay is going to dominate SmackDown the way he dominated NXT Season 4. <laughs> and he'll, he'll be debuting any week now. This song... The, I... For the most part, my biggest vibe I get from this track is, ooh, you're hard. But then they also have, like, these proper, like, peace and love lyrics where it's like, I'm sure I'll be seeing you again because this world is really small. Can we all get along? Can we all get along? Like, it's it's calling for peace at the same time as saying, like, I'm going to kick your fucking ass. Okay, there are so many strong emotions here. We got a bit of that, obviously. Yeah, I, I what just... this is, I've just realised, it's it's midway through Christian Bale's really angry, sweary rant when he's like going, fuck you, no, no! And then suddenly out of nowhere he goes, you're a nice guy, you're a nice guy, but this shit don't cut it. That's what this is, it's a confused sentiment. Yeah, and inside Christian Bale's head, there's a little Christian Bale going, why is everybody always picking on me? Why is everybody always picking on me? Does anybody want to be the picking on me? We kind of forego rhymes and structure here. Yeah. For pretty much straight up a promo. And like, I thought that was the gimmick because it's called Full Nelson. It's like he's just cutting a fucking promo here. But I remember I used to listen to this when I was sad when I was like 12 or whatever. Oh. And the bit at the start, I'd be like, yeah. But I would always skip the bit where he's like, you can't knock the fuck out. Cause your mouth like a chest at your ass can't cut. It's like, That's the oh. best bit. That's you by far the best bit. The fuck out! Oh. Burn this motherfucker down! 
burning, knocking people out. Mm-hmm. The best one as well. Three minutes twenty nine. Motherfucker! <laughs> Shut your fucking mouth! Oh, he is very upset. He's got a big bee in his bonnet today, Kevin. I'm pissed now. <laughs> also, while we're talking about here, some urban legends about Fred, you must have heard this being a PlayStation boy, that he waived the rights for Roland as long as he got included on Just Bring It as a, oh, video, yeah. as a, as a character. Like. Yeah. <laughs> Bullshit. He got his pockets lined, lad. Don't worry. <laughs> Now, each song on this album does have a synopsis on Genius, where instead Great. of like picking apart specific lyrics, they just say, this is what the song in general is about. And this one describes the song Full Nelson. Have you ever met one of those people that just is an asshole and a fucking gossiper to you and your friends and you just say to not fuck with me, but then he just does? Well, this is what this song means to Fred. Just somebody who gets you real angry to the point where you want to beat them into oblivion. Yeah! It's not healthy, though. It isn't. It's really not. I would suggest talking about it yeah. as a person first. <laughs> it's just like I, I look back and I kind of go, you know, I use it as catharsis. Everyone has that element at points in their life. I'm sure people who still listen to music unlike me still have that to an, an mm-hmm. extent, you know. When I come back from a nice long walk, I put on Last Train Home and pretend I'm a Stardust Crusader. Uh, and oh. that's, that's, what, that's the closest I've got these days. But, you know, it's a little bit too... Like, you can slip in a little bit too easy from going, like, yeah, to like, yeah! Yeah. <laughs> like, I, having been a teenage boy and having taught them as well, it's a it's it's a tinderbox. It's very easy to bring them to, like, the point of kicking down a door in no time mm-hmm. at all. You just need to give them the right enough excuse. And I always considered myself a very docile little boy. But even still, I think I was capable of those big, like, yeah! Yeah. It's, it's fucking testosterone, isn't it? Like, so, it's just... One of those things that you can't help, like when you look back at some 41 and you kind of go, oh, these guys are in their 20s making jokes about abortions. Mm. And then you kind of look back and go, this guy's in his 20 just doing this. Yep. What's going on, Fred? I know. And I I, feel, I often feel like that is maybe it's just like, oh, as an adult, maybe it doesn't speak to you so much anymore. Maybe you don't feel the same things you used to feel. But then this next track, Kevin, I'm going to say it, this next one coming up on the album hit me exactly the same way it hit me all those fucking years ago. It's a perfect song. It's my way. I, I took no notes of this. I sat down and I just had a cup of coffee and I enjoyed the fuck out of it. It is always great. It's great to use in parodies of things. Mm-hmm. I always think of the the Terry and Cat video that you mm-hmm. made. It's one of my all-time favorites. It's also Terry Runnell's favorite video <laughs> that we did in the Ashera podcast. Good thing you didn't make a video about her carrying a gun. <laughs> I'm to muddy the wires a little bit there. But, like, look, it's, it's not just... WrestleMania 17. No. It just so happens that I view it like I view fucking aquatic ambience. It's like, yeah, it's great for the level. Levels. It's And if you're going to load up Donkey Kong Country and play it in context, it's even better. Mm-hmm. But you can just pop it on whenever and you're still going to get most of those feelings because the song is so good on its own. Yeah, this is the one that as a kid I would listen to this and this one really felt like it spoke to me in terms of just like... This isn't fair. I, I don't want this anymore. I want to do things my way. Like, it, 
as a kid. It's more empowering. It's less yes, impotence than the other it. songs. All the other songs are like, I can't do shit. Whereas this is like, forget about Deborah. Yeah. She's a non-factor. But it doesn't stray into the territory of being like, I'm going to kick your fucking ass. I'm going to fucking burn the whole place down. It's more just like, I'm fed up of this. And it spoke to me so much. Mm. And genuinely, I still got those same feelings listening back to it today. The bit where it goes, someday you will see... Stunner, stunner, genuine, genuine goosebumps listening to that recently. Yes, and I don't know if it's nostalgia or whatever, but I, it still happened, and I still get awesome vibes from this song. Adam, you and I have fucking weaponized our nostalgia over the years, and like it's something that's very easy when you are talking a lot about what we talk about. It's the, the nostalgia could just fucking dissolve. Mm-hmm. Like the nostalgia is nowhere near as strong a, a thing as you might assume it mm. is. So anytime there's something that's like, hey, I've been through the fucking review of it now and I've kicked the tires and it's, you know, I've, I've looked at its teeth, I've deliberately looked for defects and flaws mm-hmm. and tried to put aside my earlier fandom and it still is fucking good times. It's a great ass song. I fucking love it. That being said, this is very much reminds me of WrestleMania 17, yep. how I felt at the time and how I still feel about it. The outcome at the main event of WrestleMania 17 is the previous song. Mm. Why the hell are you going to urinate on The Rock? <laughs> you might as well urinate on me! On me! <laughs> and like the Houston Astrodome, just burn this motherfucker down! <laughs> now, what does the song mean to you? And I don't mean mean to you, I mean like your interpretation of the lyrics. What is this song about? The song is about having a strong will and acknowledging that there will be things that will challenge that will, mm. but your determ- your determinazione, to make another belated JoJo reference, will will see you through. And it's a, it's a song about believing in yourself. And it's not necessarily, what I like about it, Adam, it's not a song about like, believe in yourself and you can achieve anything. Mm. It's not that. What it is, is it doesn't matter if you'll achieve or not. Just live in the moment of believing in yourself. And it's very good. And also... Unlike everything else on this album, this is an actual song. It is. It's an it actual is. proper song. It has a proper structure. Fred's voice is tolerable. The lyrics are actually decent. Like, the way it builds up and then comes back down again and then you get out the quiet bit and then it all comes back with a punch. Like, this is by far the most interesting Limp Bizkit song in the sense that it's not just one thing over and over and over. It takes me right back, like, not just to memories of watching it recently or the event itself it takes me back to like 12 years old Mm. sat there watching it you know in 2001 at fucking two or three in the morning getting goosebumps you know it it's it's a powerful song It, it is remained steadfast in its importance to me over the years now the interpretation we've got here from genius.com fred is irritated because Fred. Fred. (laughs) Always! Fucking Fred. Fred is irritated because his girl is trying to be in control, trying to lead him around. Wait, no, he's mixed up with Fred West again. Is that what's (laughs) happened here on... He's not going to take it anymore. (laughs) And then specifically the bit where it's like, just one more fight about a lot of things. A lot of couples end up fighting over the smallest, silliest things, like frying pans or a vacuum. Fred is willing to sacrifice all of this so that he can return to the simplicity of a simple life. Isn't that nice of him? Yeah, no vacuum cleaners for me, mate. No frying pans here. Is it nicer when you're with someone like, no, I'm not even going to make an issue at the fact that you did not take out the bins last night as agreed upon. I'm not going to have a fight about that because I I just want things to go back to how they were. You know, back when you would have taken the bins out. <laughs> Track number six. 
I want to Get, get away from the microphone, Kevin. Jesus. You know what time Step it back. is, baby. Ugh. Here we go. Oh. Bed, bed Stiller. I like Bed Stiller. Stop. Partner. All right. Kevin. Keep on rolling, baby. Enough. All right, partner. Keep on rolling, baby. You know what time it is. So yeah, we got um, Roland next, and I do like Roland because within the first two bit, I, I think those lyrics for Roland for the first time ever the other day, because uh, they're not many, but he does go out of his way to mention that he's got a platinum record within yeah. 10 seconds. Let's just get that out of the way with now, folks. You need to know that right now. I was so disappointed that Roland was here this early in the CD because now I felt I feel like I've got nothing to hang on to really anymore. Like, we've got all the big ones out of the way. Yeah, it's so many times we've done a pay-per-view where like, you could have rearranged these matches and you have had a banger. You put my way as the fucking main event or Roland, but back-to-back, mm. no, no, no. The crowd are... Well, the crowd are a little bit tired, you mm-hmm. see, after my way. They weren't really able to uh, afford Roland. Brackets, <laughs> Randy Orton versus Triple H. Yeah, the, 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 the kind of the reaction deserved. I remember as a kid getting sick of this. Really? Yeah. Wow. It just—it was too much. I think I got—I got overdosed on it because it was. Think about it. I watched Raw. I watched SmackDown. I watched Livewire. I watched Bottom mm. Line, and I probably and I and I played SmackDown too with my cousins. So I was hearing. Oh no, SmackDown two didn't have it. SmackDown three, however, yes. did have it, mm-hmm. and I kind of felt like I was in a position where I was listening to. Rolling at least once or twice a day every day for five years so i think that's only natural that i got a bit sick of it eventually right yeah i mean i think maybe i just didn't hear it as much as you or maybe because i took such a huge break from ever hearing any limb biscuit songs ever again that nowadays it's got that nostalgic buff but the, the first thing that i want to say here is that alice reminded me immediately i totally forgot about this this was one of the many songs that we did at joe's karaoke party last year for joe's birthday oh yeah and if I remember rightly, because they didn't have the rights to use the music video at the karaoke bar, we had like a MIDI track of Rollin' accompanied by like footage of this weird like church from the outside. Not even like an old school, like impressive architecturally church. It was like a village hall that had been converted into like a little community center church. And it was just <laughs> so, so many camera angles of this one place with Rollin', 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 Rollin'. Uh, it just reminds me of, there was one time when I was in China looking at bears and I, I went to into the village like once or twice and I got very 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 drunk and I mm. literally I don't I cannot explain there's probably like some sort of legend of this phantom bearded white guy who terrorized a small village in rural Chengdu because I distinctly remember being drunk walking into places being given drinks and then just leaving and no one asking me Jesus. for payments <laughs> one of which was a karaoke bar where I came in with like two bottles of beer like Neil Hamburger grabbed the microphone sang I'm Still Alive by Pearl Jam and there was like a couple on a boat in the track it was like the karaoke <laughs> thing so I don't know if it's like an Asian karaoke thing where you get this lovely stock footage mm, with MIDI perhaps. versions of songs but takes me back Roland had a big 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 music video yes. that spoke to how huge Limp Bizkit were. You had like, it's like a Hollywood movie production. You it know? was, yeah. The music video cost $3 million and, oh my God, that's so weird. 
Jesus, that's so bizarre. Okay, so they filmed it in New York, obviously. Yeah. And you can see the World Trade Center predominantly in the video. You see that quite a lot throughout the video. Yes. Apparently on the 10th of September 2001, Limp Biscuit received a letter from the World Trade Center thanking them for including the building in the video. I also heard that apparently one time he was asked about, like, in an interview, they were like, hey, you filmed Roland near the World Trade Center. Any thoughts on, like, 9-11? He's like, whoa, good thing we weren't there. <laughs> good insight, Fred. But, like, if you take every fucking, like, interview clip from him, context or otherwise, he, it's it, you'd be here mm. all day and night. So you're saying three million? Yeah, three million it cost to make the video. Shit, because my, my, one of my favorite back pocket facts I always have, I had it, like, ready to go here, which is uh, the Mariah Carey <laughs> music video for Heartbreaker, uh -huh. which is, like, one of my all-time favorite masterpieces. Of course, it's the first of the trilogy that features Mariah's evil alter ego, Bianca, who is uh, one of my favorite <laughs> recurring characters in the extended Mariah Carey-verse. But that was 2.5 million. Mm. I remember it all being a thing that it's like, it's so expensive. Yep. I can't believe Mimi's breaking the bank like that. And she's like, it's just a story we want to tell. And obviously Fred Durst is like, Heartbreaker, you got the best of me. And I knew right from the heart. That I would burn this motherfucking death. For fuck's sake, Kevin. If Fred Durst had an evil Bianca, an evil twin that was like a dark version with a black hat and Ted Durst. Ted or Robert Durst, the serial killer, maybe that was Jesus. him. Jesus. I had a big brainwave of nostalgia when I was listening to this. I don't know what it was. Maybe it's because it was the first time I'd listened to it intently for so many years. But as I was listening, I had this huge memory just come flooding back to me. I don't know if you were like this when you were younger as a wrestling fan, but I was obsessed with like drawing wrestling comics, yep. writing down wrestling stats, just writing out. I used to like get notebooks and just try and fill them with anything I could think of to do with wrestling. It actually reminds me of last year when I was home for Christmas. I did find a little tiny notebook, which was from, it's from late, it's like Su Survivor Series 99 mm -hmm. time thereabouts when Austin got ran over. And it was like height of like, I'm a proper wrestling fan now. Mm -hmm. And in it, I had drawn every single wrestler I could think of mm. with either A, a pun, or B, one of my own original cartoons I would draw cosplaying as them. <laughs> so if you want to see Kevin's original character, Sharky, which I think is just because I saw Sharky and George when I was four, and I was like, duh, copy that. <laughs> <laughs> but he's dressed as the Undertaker and he's got like you know, the, wow. the eyes in the back of his head. It's proper phenom, like long goat beard Undertaker. Oh my God. And I'm pretty sure the Spudley boys are in there, but I'd only see them appear once. So it's like, look at that Bubba Ray Dudley. He looks like a fucking potato. <laughs> what I wouldn't give to be able to find all of those from my childhood. I don't know what happened to them, but we were a similar thing, I guess. Yeah, it was, it was meant to happen this Christmas and then there's a bloody pandemic uh... and now I, have to f now I have to have a Protestant Christmas and make Chris Stingles <laughs> as old as orange everywhere what is this but it wasn't always just drawings it'd be like i would write out lists of like finishing moves or i'd write out lists of matches i would just write about wrestling whatever i could think of to try and fill up my time yeah and i remembered listening to this back in 2000 slash 2001 there was two big things that were a massive influence on me it was the american badass undertaker and it was the Blues Brothers, because I'd watched the film, we had the soundtrack CD in the car, and my parents had taken me to Stoke to go to the theatre to see the Blues Brothers live stage show. So I was... Wow, jealous! Yeah, and I, when I was there, I bought a hat and sunglasses from the actual the, the shop in the theatre. I would Very I good. would stay up in my bedroom and like use one of those, you know, like a big yard of chocolate bars. I would use that as a mic stand and pretend I was Elwood. Like, I was 
so obsessed back then. And there's young little Adam with his hat and glasses queuing up on the opening day of Blues Brothers 2000. Oh, I did. I went to see it, Kevin. I hope John Goodman fills these big shoes. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe I can be like that little boy and hang out with these two 50-year-old men in glasses. Oh. <laughs> and I remembered listening to this song one of the pages in this notebook I had, I drew out a chart of American Badass Undertaker and Blues Brothers, all like the crossover similarity they had in common. And I've actually, I've recreated the chart here. So on one side, it's Undertaker. On one side, it's Blues Brothers. We've got in common, sunglasses, sunglasses. Mm-hmm. Undertaker has a motorbike. Blues Brothers have a bluesmobile. That one's a bit tenuous. But then the most important one, Undertaker had rolling, 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 rolling. And the Blues Brothers had rolling, rolling, rolling. And I remember when I drew that out as a kid, I was so fucking chuffed. It was like I just cracked the Da Vinci Code or Good something. Good job, man. Good job. <laughs> That's fucking great. I-, I would like someone to do rolling, roll, you know, the, the rawhide theme, yep. but put in... A Fred Durst rolling, rolling. <laughs> Keep them doggies rolling. Oh. Raw hide. All the things I'm missing. Good fiddles, love, and kissing. Awaiting at the end of my life. Because I'm going to kill myself. As hard as this must be for the listeners to hear, be grateful you're not seeing it. Because when Kevin's doing it, he look, it's the same face you pull when you do Tommy Dreamer crying during a promo. Like, you've got a little bit red, your eyes are closed. You're like, eh. It makes me really concerned. What it is, is I've eaten too many oats this morning. Mm. I'm all... I'm all, I'm all angry now. <laughs> Too many oats angers up the blood. Let's uh, move on to track number seven, shall we? Let's do it. Dedicating to you, Ben Stiller. You are my favorite motherfucker. I told you, didn't I? Drama makes the world go around. Does anybody got a problem with that? Yeah, my business. It's my business. Who's guilty? Can I get a witness? Living it up. This one goes out to Ben Stiller. You are my favorite motherfucker. He's never gonna fuck you, bro. I told you. <laughs> I hate Pulling it. Pulling face. I hate I it so you. much. <laughs> so fucking annoying. This, this is like me, my worst nightmares. This is what I worry I was like when I first met you. I was like, oh, this is guy that likes wrestling and I really want to be his friend. So I'm going to keep doing these things where it's like, hey, Kevin, hey, we're, we're, we're friends, aren't we? Yeah, yeah. You want you want to you want to be on my album? Yeah, because we're we're pals. I'll, I'll I'll name drop you if you like, because we're we're obviously friends. Would you mind telling people that we're friends, just so everyone knows that I'm I'm friends with you? Yeah. Uh, okay, we're not friends. We're favorite motherfuckers. There's a difference. All right. BFM's best favorite motherfuckers forever. F. I was wondering at this point when I'm the slim shady, yes, I'm the real shady. All the other slim shadies mm. just stand up. Now, was he making reference to Fred Durst there, do you think, a little bit? Because he is really doing that. He's doing that little kind of... <laughs> Teasing him, singing off-key. Mummy, mama. Mummy, mama. I'm 29. <laughs> <laughs> so why are you saying that, like, Eminem was riffing on Fred Durst? I'd be pissed if... I, it is exactly his shtick, mm. Adam. It is exactly That's it. true. He, like, he goes through... I'm not saying Fred Durst hasn't, hasn't got his own shtick. He does. He has, like, two or three voices that mm. he does. But when he specifically does that, like, I told you... Yeah. He's doing... <laughs> it. And it's, it's a shame, because that's made Slim Shady Marshall Mathers. It made him 
expand out and he had to like think more and be like wow i'm not gonna just do the silly voice i'm gonna you know do more serious oh. stuff and ask president bush about why you're sending these boys to die in the war or i might you know do that song where it's like hey scooby-doo i'm gonna suck your dick <laughs> <laughs> i'll take 10 minutes of ben steer laughing over one minute of simulating a dog sucking a dick any day of the week you fucking kidding me? All right, Slim Shady, sit down. Sit down. Honestly, I thought Eminem was pretty gross back when I used to listen to him, and I thought I've stopped after a certain point. Give me my dick back. It was only recently I listened to a bit of like Eminem from when I after I stopped listening. I didn't realize he got so disgusting. Oh my god! There's that song about a bum where he's like, "You make my slinky go da doing doing doing," and there's something about it that really makes my skin crawl. The idea of getting a boner and saying da doing doing doing. Anyway, Limbiscuit. He's talking about the starfish navigation. And also, I think he alludes to the fact that he's an alien as he's well. He's an alien. I missed that. Because I think it comes before the really aggressive lie where it's like, something, something, I'm an alien. Mrs. Aguilera, come get some. Rock as he's steady with the he says, she says. And don't forget about the starfish navigation system. Don't hate me. I'm just an alien with 37 tons of new millennium. Mrs. Aguilera, come get some. We got a genius uh, annotation here because I was like, 37 tons of new millennium. What could that mean? At the time of the recording, it was early 2000. The new millennium. So that's... That's, that's that answer. Oh, that cleared up then. <laughs> so yeah, he is an alien. Uh, obviously, a starfish navigation system. I, d- I don't know what Fred Durst is meant to be all about at this point. I'm from planet Jacksonville. <laughs> <laughs> Why is it that no one, no man could release an album that was like fucking meant to be appealing to young teenagers at the time and not be like, hey, Britney Spears, why don't you come get a load of this? You know, it has to be seen. What is, Mrs. Aguilera, come get some. Mate, she's about to pivot into her dirty phaser career. She'll eat you up for lunch, Durst. Yeah, you couldn't handle her, mate. Couldn't handle that shit. You couldn't handle her a genie in a bottle, yet alone dirty. <laughs> he also says that he's seen The Fight Club about 28 times. He refers to it as The Fight Club exclusively. The Fight Club, yes. I hate that. I hate that f- so fucking much, Kevin. Well, in fairness, Adam, people who don't really understand the fight club tend to say that well i was so, gonna say you know. why would you need to watch it 28 times mate are you really having that much trouble understanding it <laughs> it's probably the most aspirational song on the album it's it's borderline 80s satirism i'm a crazy motherfucker living it up not giving a fuck in the fast lane all right you yeah. do well then Things Fred, are good you had for a good him. year i mean i don't give a fuck it is aspirational because he's seen the fight club 28 times and as we all know he would go on to be in fight club on playstation 2 as an unlockable character kevin oh he is it's true he, he, he is. insisted on that and he didn't have quite the skill set that he did. I think his skills waned between his appearance on SmackDown because he was doing 360 crucifix power bombs, senton bombs, uh, diving, shooting stars to the outside. He's very nimble. You didn't realize it's the Jacksonville climate, I think, it really worked to his favor. It's basically like if Def Jam Vendetta was the WWF, then Fight Club PS2 is like the WWA, and you should be a little bit ashamed that that's as far as you got, mate. Here, can you tell me if there's anything on Genius about this, about, whoa, marijuana, I don't like to smoke it, I just love the way it there smells, you know what I'm saying? Yo, Britney Spears, suck my dick. There isn't actually an annotation for that, but I'm pretty sure I can come up with my own one if you like. Um... Fred Durst actually doesn't smoke marijuana, but he does enjoy the smell of it when other people are smoking it nearby. Right. You know, it's bad when Barack Obama's got a cooler line about smoking weed than he does. 
Because you know George Bush, the whole thing when he was president, it was, it was you know he admitted to smoking marijuana, mm-hmm. but he said I didn't inhale. Yeah, and then it was his whole thing that he didn't inhale. Yep. Then Barack Obama was like, "You smoked marijuana as a kid." He's like, "Yep." And he's like, well, did you inhale? And he goes, folks, that's the point. You know? <laughs> <laughs> Just like Maven would have. <laughs> now, Fred Durst is kind of a bit of a catch-all for the, the 90s, isn't he? Because he had a lot of skills in his repertoire, but I think he kind of felt that he had to be Mr. fucking Man for All Seasons here. I got my skateboard and some spray for tagging. Skateboard? That's a different scene, mate. Spray, spray, spray Peyton? He's all over the place here now. That's a very different scene. That's the likes of Tony Hawk's Underground. Again, a video game that you will not be able to get into, mate. You're just not the right genre. You're not the right personality. Stay in your lane. He's got to be in a skating game as an unlock, surely. Phil McJair is. He's got to be. That's just... <laughs> Phil Bonjera, yeah. The next best thing to Fred Durst. Hang on. Fred Durst, Tony Hawk. Are you fucking kidding me? Let me guess. Underground. One of the really good ones. Or maybe he's in Tony Hawk's ride. (laughs) Oh, wait. No, no, no. He's not. He's not. It's just in the same article as someone else. It's fine. Never mind. Close one there. We do get here, obviously, wrestling being so inherently tied to chocolate starfish, you've got to think that Stone Cold listened to the CD at some point. Oh, yeah. And I'm going to go out on a limb here and say that Stone Cold is much like how John Cena stole You Can't See Me from that WWF aggression album that we reviewed. I think Stone Cold listened to this track in particular and took notice of this bit. It'll leave a hole. What? Down the side of me. What? And it'll leave a scar. What? Can anybody see? What? It's literally the exact formula, Kevin. It really is. And I think this was obviously one that I think, you know, in lieu of a downside bonus, everyone got a copy of Chocolate Starfish for Christmas. It's as good as money. (laughs) And he was listening to it in the car when he decided to phone Christian that night. It all makes sense. Now, what is interesting is that this is the point in the album, and this is, as we both pointed out, the point where we both long would have switched off and put on a different album at this point, that all the bits at the end, the last 30 to 40 seconds of all the songs are the same, (sighs) where it will get to a bit where it's like, and like a bouncy with him going, yeah, 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 fuck. And they all like, I like, you know, there's nothing wrong with having motifs. I love prog, and I like like a little bit of a motif coming up at Mm -hmm. the end. But it's not prog, though, is it? It's not. <laughs> is it not, Kevin? It's not, though, is it? This, to me, is a steady downhill. Actually, no, not quite. There is one more track, or maybe two, that are decent here. But it is getting... We're definitely on the downward trajectory here on this latter half of the album. Oh, fuck. This, this next song, when I... When I... I posted reaction pictures to me listening through this. And I got, like, so many people who were like bad tech no that's wrong how, how dare you and i think it's really funny to like look at silly pictures and get upset but whatever mm. because when i said that i i just shrugged and i said i have no memory of this it actually put me to sleep the song was so fucking boring it's this next one the one Whoops, wrong band. Who put this CD in? I'm not got a girlfriend. But maybe you could 
be? Uh, uh, with your nice glasses and dress, would you take me out to the dance, please? Uh, maybe you could be the one. Hard fucking pass, please. This was too cringy for a 12-year-old. Yeah. Now, I'm grand. I don't want a girlfriend if this is what's going to happen to me. <laughs> this sucks. It's fucking boring. It's so slow. Six his voice, minutes! His voice goes from being, like, insanely pitchy and horrible to being incredibly flat and dull. There is literally no redeeming quality about this song whatsoever. And he doesn't seem really that much convinced either here, where he's like, You and me could be so happy in this world of misery inside of you inside of me mm. now calling your dick a world of misery is a bit of a fucking subtle yeah, dig at yourself right? isn't it like this is a really fucking slow sad <sighs> boring song and you're talking about being inside of someone it's- if i was in the production booth of this and it happened i would have been like fred tap 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 on the glass fred jump up and down <laughs> jump up and- no it's too jump up and down fred say fuck i show up a picture of christina aguilera Gav a go at her, go on! <laughs> 349, it becomes an entirely new song. And it's different yep. from this other song because it's off key as well. <laughs> awful, awful, awful. I'm sorry, Fred Durst. Stay far away from it. And that's, I think, the downfall of his the later stuff, the 2003 releases. It became all this like, you uh, should yeah. be stained. I want. Yes, oh! absolutely. Yeah. Stained are perfectly capable of being themselves. You're on the outside looking in, Fred. Know your fucking role. And more insulting than anything else is the fact they call this track The One. And then this just, as immediately as this comes up on Spotify, all I can think of, look at all I got. Enough to make a blind man see. <laughs> Imagine if Billy Gunn walked out to the ring to this fucking Hello. slow. Billy so Gunn. Billy G. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it actually would be kind of fitting for that period of his career. Yeah, really good. We, hey, we're going to marry Chuck Palumbo. This could be the one. <laughs> oh, Jesus. Uh, Track number nine. And I think me. everyone would rather that this was not on the album. Get your groove on. Featuring everyone's favorite ride pimper and also a fucking tank and Def Jam fight for New York. X to the Z, baby. It's Exhibit coming at ya. Yes. Millennium shit. Limp Bizkit. Uh, X to the Z. Yeah. Uh. Ah! Bring it alive to you and yours. Ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> My homeboy. Yo, get at him, dog. I perked up immediately when I saw that Exhibit was on this track because I was like, finally, just doesn't matter who it is, a different voice, someone that doesn't sound like that, that will bring me some solace. And fuck me, this track is so fucking boring. Right, this is my main takeaway from it. You know, they did a joke about it and I think you should leave. And it's happened obviously in real life many times, such as Friday and I just want to play video games. But you know when I get in America, particularly in LA or places where there's big music scenes, you could go in and give $100 and it's like, here's a special song and you can sing this special song. Mm -hmm. As like Fred Durst for his birthday was allowed to make a special rap song because Get Your Groove On is the most fucking generic. Like it's so generic 
it takes away anything that might be weird about like Exhibit standing there watching yep. a fucking awkward white guy do the worst trap ever. Because like the fact that Exhibit does so little in this, I'm like, good. Because you don't want Exhibit to have to really be tied to lyrics like, I'm a real motherfucker from around the way. You don't want to be messing with me today, and it's, it's and of course it's it's not done aggressively. Like it's not like a you know a barking like, rah, coming at no. you. It's like I'm a real motherfucker from around the way. Hey, I'm a yep. real motherfucker from around the way. And don't you be making me convene today. on me today. He's he's really trying to be slim shady here now. A bit too much. Again, I don't know if it's because Fred is such an old-fashioned name to me. There's a line here from Exhibit that just sounds like a couple of men just chatting to someone at a wedding or something. Like, yeah, at a uh, wedding? Yeah, like just stood there with like a pint of Guinness in his hand saying like, yeah, me and Fred about to go half on Microsoft <laughs> just talking about investments. Cool. I know. This is, as a kid, like I'm thankful that I never got to this half of the album because this track would make me lose what little respect I did have for Fred Durst. But at least the one, one, one redeeming quality of this track is at four minutes and eight seconds, we do get our grunt of the album for me, which is when Exhibit makes a bird call noise. <laughs> I mean, if a bird came into the studio, it might have made a little bit of fucking energy and gotten some <laughs> excitement in here. They would have started jumping around a little bit again. Coming up next, it's one of the biggest tracks from this album, and it was a track which, honestly, it made me realise there were a lot more Limp Bizkit fans in my school, because when the movie came out, there were a lot of people who were like, yeah, I'm going to open up my long leather coat and reveal the Limp Bizkit t-shirt underneath. That's all right. It's, it's perfectly fine. A couple of people were, were willing to extend the olive branch and talk about their love of Mission Impossible 2. <laughs> If you are given the license to the Mission Impossible song, much like doing the James Bond song, it's like, okay, big fucking news. You got a chance to make something special for yourself that could long live far past your actual natural lifespan as a band. I'm looking at you, Depeche Mode, of you to a kill. <laughs> and the fact that they get to do... I love that. That's a great That's yep. a great riff. I, original 60s Mission Impossible. I fucking love that as well. Grace. The Hustle... The synergy, the money that these men have made doing this. I am so impressed that he took something that was as unpalatable and dirty to the public as like new metal. Because, like, you know, break stuff wasn't exactly speaking to the fucking masses the way you no. would think it was. And the fact that they got a jewel of Hollywood to be like, yeah, Fred, here's the riff. Off you go. And if you want to, spend most of the song, which is meant to be about Mission Impossible, Complaining about critics who rag on yep. your red hat and lack yep. of and lack of critical success. It is a bitter, bitter song. It is. And again, I I assumed this was on a later album or something, because I clearly never got this far before. I know this song. I used to see the video on Kerrang all the time, and I do actually quite like this track, but I had no idea it was on this album. One thing I would change, I would maybe take that riff out. I would probably take Fred out. I would change the video so they're not in that diner doing a mission. I would have them like on top of a canyon. Mm. Instead of Limp Biscuit, I would have James Hetfield there with his guitar going, oh, wow, oh, 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 wow. I, that, I think that would improve this track just a little bit. I watch Segway into St. Anger there. Like, oh, wow, 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 St. Anger is my friend. Stop he referencing that. Never gets Why? 
every fucking now, time. Here's the thing: every time, every fucking time we put on a Limp Biscuit song, you get asked ten times what you're gonna do. I don't know. It's fucking eleven in the morning. I'm listening to Limp Biscuit. I don't know what the fuck I'm doing with my life. Stop asking me. Oh, we get a nice little section here, which perfectly sums up how I feel sometimes when I've just recorded a podcast. I don't even know what I should say, because I'm an idiot, a loser, a microphone abuser. I analyse every second I exist, beating up my mind every second with my fists. Whoa. That's what it's like to podcast with anxiety, folks. Wow, that's amazing. He's truly like a fucking speaking to us from the past, Adam. It's like we didn't know it was there all along for us. I mean... It's still a banger, isn't it? Because it's like you just get, you just have anyone who starts off riffing on a fucking classic theme, and then you do into your standard. You know, they're jumping up, doo 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 doo. You know, they're jumping around at the end, going, Bleh! "It's fun." The only problem I have is that the tone of the song is very bitter, and it's bitter about a lot of very very petty things. And it is partly admirable that you would take the most high profile crossover mainstream thing you've ever done and use it as a stick to beat your many critics with albeit ineffectively i mean i do admire the hubris of that it's pretty amazing mm. it's like if we when we got to do the london podcast festival it's like let's do a special about all the negative comments we've gotten on like twitter <laughs> over the years <laughs> so i love i love that he's blowing his is you know he's shooting his shot here but if you've seen Mission Impossible 2, it's a joyous movie. It's a movie where really? Tom Cruise jumps off. He jumps off such large heights and explosions and always goes out of his way to do a little twist or a twirl. It's it's a movie where I, I have memories of watching with large groups of people going, look, he's going to do a flourish. Hey! You know, he does a little extra twist or twirl. It's a He's a beautiful man in a beautiful movie is what I'm saying. It doesn't mix. I've, I've never seen MI2, to use its correct name, because I always heard that was the real fucking naff one out of the original Mission Impossibles. Oh, oh it absolutely is. It is still a joyous <laughs> movie. I'm just saying the mix of these two things, this is this is Bovril and light brown sugar. It doesn't uh, it doesn't work. Number 11. Another fucking whingy L song. Oh. Would you, I feel like a really horrible parent with a depressive... Would you just quit moping around? Stop it now. Stop being bloody idle. Get out of bed. Track number 11. It'll be okay. I don't know. That rain-like guitar riff sounds sick. It's going to say differently, friends. This feels like they tried to do another My Way, but it's far, far, far worse. That's got no, it's got no, like, energy. And that, that's something that, that I remember when I listened to the follow-up to, to, to this, the, the one that came out in 03. And I was long since no longer a Limp Bizkit fan at that point. Like, when Limp Bizkit played... At WrestleMania 19, I was like mm. tittering to myself because I was like, Aww. "Like this, this is old news." But that being said, you know, I was like, "I'm listening to Devo. This song's about nuclear tides." Huh? <laughs> like, so I'd, I had long since moved on at that point. But there's not the energy here, and this is the the lack of energy that I think would, I would associate with Limp Bizkit. It just becomes like. Uh, like kind of a shrug of like yeah. if you have this level of energy when we sit down we're going to do a podcast I'd be like go fucking eat a Mars bar and come back in half an hour and I'd expect <laughs> you to say the same thing to me it's- and I thought I was full of hyperbole earlier but he does say I just want to kill myself for you as the refrain in this yep I mean, the, the energy levels can be best summed up by the repeating hook, which is, So I'm on my way, I leave today, and after all, you're my wonder one. He's got 
got strings in there as well. Sorry, the way you say it at the start, it's like he's passive aggressively threatening to leave. Like if you're a kid who says you're gonna run away from home age nine, you got all your street sharks in a bin bag. I'm on my way <laughs> going away. You won't get to see me. <laughs> yeah, um this was a song that I think I probably listened to in its entirety maybe once before. And yeah, it don't don't bode well if you didn't like it then. I wasn't a fan of it. It's a hard pass for me, Adam. It fucking sucks. And then here we come. Track number 12. It is a late entry into the Hall of Fame of greatest wrestling style songs ever. Because Adam, I've forgotten all about Boiler. It's long. The Skirl of New Metal brings us into what can I now officially reveal to you is Kevin Devil's entrance music. Whoa! That's right, the 7 foot 11 beast that I managed in WrestleMania 2000 hypothetically came out to this. I thought it, and sometimes I would mute the TV and play this a little bit and pause it until they kicked in. And I'd be like, right, go now. And then if I came out second, I'd be like, no, 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 do it again. We'd swap them around. Then we go, <laughs> it's very wrestling. It is. Very, very wrestling. I'd also like to imagine that when Boiler Man comes out onto the pitch, this is what accompanies him out, like he's waving at all the boys and girls. And all the West Bromley fans are like, why the hell are you going to go do something like that? <laughs> He does actually say as one of the lyrics, oh. Now the fact that he fell off a main and still recorded <laughs> the whole track, I was really impressed. You know, really, really impressed. At this point, it was just really fucking getting to me how long this album is. It feels way too long, Kevin. Look, Adam, just like how this podcast came around, you know, sometimes some things turn in you dumb things and that's when you put your foot down wow wow that that was a line i think i opted to ignore as a kid it's like yeah, yeah. that's 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 cool it just is kind of like having a few wobbles in here despite it being a great track now i know it did get a music video that was like you know fred durst drawn like he's in spawn oh the other coolest thing we had going at the early noughties. But I do think this was maybe once to the well too many that I don't know if it's distinct enough other than it is probably the most whingy of all the, the, the tracks on the album. It's the most where I can actually hear the Nine Inch Nails influence in the instruments. Like, yes. Cause they, they, I've read a lot of things about them saying like, oh yeah, they were heavily inspired by Nine Inch Nails. And they never yeah, meant to, more, more than inspired. And they never meant to diss them or anything like that. That was all unintentional. But this is the first time I actually heard like, oh, okay, I can hear a little bit of that now. But it's ruined by the fact that you have lines like, but my life's been what till now? I crawled up your butt from hell. Fucking Beavis and Butthead could write better lyrics than that, Fred. Why would you hurt me? The lying to you is done. The taking the bins out is done. <laughs> like, yeah, he went out with Jerry Hallowell briefly, it was pointed yeah. out to me. And she didn't need to put up with this now, did she? She had an awful run at hard time. She had to go she had to go with David Williams. She had to pretend to go out with Chris oh. Evans. And then that then this shit. 
Come on now. For my favourite Spice Girl, she deserved better than that. Yeah, fucking rough go of it. Apologise, Decade, for being cruel to Jerry Hallowell. Then at the end of it, we get a big L laugh at the end. And then maybe one of the reasons why I like this, we kind of segue into a little bit of binaural beats to study to. Mm. And like Fred Durst is like grabbing the telephone. He's like, get me every anxious millennial. You know, the music that you don't want to think about that will just be in the background so you don't feel alone where you're doing chores or some study or just doing some shopping or whatever. Dig this! <laughs> this was a single, Kevin. I, I still yeah. can't believe that they released this as a single. <laughs> the, the main kick of it, the... That is so fucking wrestling. Mm. It is so wrestling. And I wonder if Fred would have been a lot happier getting more rest than hookups than he did do you think that he's kind of not pissed but because roland became this kind of thing that spun out into its own like whole little thing that maybe it was almost impossible for them to do more wrestling music because it's like well you've done undertaker he's and he's yeah. done roland you've done the most iconic non wwe wrestling theme for the most iconic wwe wrestler i think you're done there you know yeah it's, it's not exactly like cfos or anything like he couldn't really get a deal out of the back of that i don't think did he want, I mean, if you're getting money from fucking Universal Pictures, what, you know, nickel and dime shit with wrestling, I'm pretty sure Fred did that because he loved wrestling. So he is definitely a wrestling fan. Like, oh, he, is, he has big, got a love for wrestling, yeah. Big wrestling fan. Yeah, 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 he is. Not now, here's a different thing now, right? You know, he's not the Billy Corgan. Like, if you're going to have mm. him on your podcast, you need Billy Corgan as well to maybe balance <laughs> him out, like, you know? <laughs> I, I don't I don't mean this as an insult to either man, but I think he's more of a, he's got more Billy Keeble energy in terms of enjoying his wrestling. Like he knows what okay. he likes. I want to tell you why I like Eugene <laughs> Punjabi prison. <laughs> so then, at the end of this track is when we get this coda that tells us to yeah. just basically ignore everything that we've just heard, because he goes, "Ladies and gentlemen, what you are experiencing is in fact an inner lie, man. I would like you to kick back." And think about everything you've just heard. And this is by far the biggest analysis we got from Genius today. Someone okay. saying, As I see it, this is what tells us that we've been listening to the song wrong. The whole time we are relating to and thinking about that person who hurts us, who we had to do everything for, and who no matter what it was, never enough. We are indignant. They are to blame. But mm -hmm. the inner lie, man, is when we don't see ourselves. When we believe we are the victim and blame someone else for everything, taking no responsibility. The inner lie, man. And the inner lie, man, is capitalized like it's a character. The oh, he's inner my lie favorite man. recurring character in the extended Limp Bizkit universe. <laughs> The inner lie man is who we've just been listening and relating to. Now we can sit back and relax and realise that everything we were pointing the finger at was bull. Oh. So really, we were just whining about everything else, man. Pointing the finger at everyone else when really maybe we're the ones that are a little bit fucked up. I don't know why, but I really want to start a podcast that you call The Inner Lie Men. I just think it'd be really fun. <laughs> right. Track 13. We're fucking, we're struggling now, folks. We're really struggling here. And not as much as Limp Bizkit were, because hold on here. It's like some sort of a ballad. And he's like, hey, what if I try to sing for the last track, guys? Like, no, Fred, you shouldn't have. I would have taken another 10 minutes of Ben Stiller laughing instead of this, please. You keep your distance. I can't deny you. I got 
I mean, it was a breath of fresh air to start yeah. off with because Scott Weiland is singing. We've got him singing here, and that's a different voice again. Oh, so it is. Something. All right, so it wasn't Fred. Okay, I, that, I was well, confused no, by Fred that. Fred does sing again in a bit, but it right, starts right. off with Scott Weiland instead. Ah, what an odd name to be in this. Jesus. I know. I don't know how they managed to rope him into this. Now, again, once you get stiller, all the fucking dominoes fall into place, don't they? But then, again, it's another fucking six-minute track right near the end of the album. It's fucking brutally long. It's a fucking <sighs> Randy Orton headlock of a track. It's so boring. Am I the only one who thought that these were snappy songs? Because I just thought, oh, yeah, you know, Generation X, Generation Strange, someone even shine through a window pane. We're talking two, three minutes tops here, right? No, no, they're ballads. They start off, this is one of the things that I hate the most about this album, is the tracks start off at like a relatively decent length. And then the closer you get to the end of the album where you're fucking begging for it to stop already, they get longer and longer. This track is over six minutes. And we start getting, I'm not sure if it's this track... But there's like a whole bunch of tracks at the end where you get bits like the intro, where yeah. it's like you have him on the phone or be, and you know, it's just, right, you've got to have a little discipline because when you're podcasting, and even though all we do is talk on podcasting, there's a temptation there to like, particularly when you're editing to be like, you know, when we did the the nine line chat in the recent episode and I started mm. editing in like, oh, skip here and skip there. I got that little kind of taste of like, ooh, edit power. Like I could fucking do loads of crazy shit if I want, and you can. And I had to have the bit of discipline to know that at least if I do it more than I've done it there, it'll be horrible. Mm. But Fred just loves the sound of his own voice here, I yes. think. Because there's no, there's no one here who's going to say, we don't need monologue number five. You've got less discipline than Tom Waits if he's drunk at a particularly long concert where he's read a big book of facts. He's going on and on and on yeah. and on and on and on. We do get the, uh, the one saving grace of this track, I will say is that these lyrics, more so than any of the others on the album, these ones are really well suited to being read out by Jeff Hardy. The things you told me to hear you speak, I'm burning slowly, I'm growing weak. You bring me closer to yesterday, yesterday's a million miles away. Why can't you hear me? Why can't I sleep? And I don't understand what keeps me breathing. I'm waiting for you, I know you're leaving. I'll still adore you, you'll never need me. H-A-R-D-Y, man. That's the law. H-A-R-D. Why the hell are you going to do something like that? Do, 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 do. Why the hell are you going to do something like that, mate? <laughs> <laughs> the next song. You know what time it is, baby. <laughs> it's that time again. <laughs> One more time. Play the fucking track. Play that fucking track. At least it sounded no, fuck different. fuck off, Adam. Fuck off. At least it sounded different to a lot of the other tracks on the album. It sounds like Isle Delfino's been taken over by a load of pricks. Actually, no. Here's what. Listen to a bit of this fucking dross, right? Now listen to the Game Boy Advance WrestleMania 18 iteration of Roland.
Much better. But look, we've got actual rappers here, Kevin. We've got they're DMX, They're not doing Red anything. Man. Yes, they're they all, are. They're all stood in the background while Fred Durst is like, Hey, guys, you all want to come and watch me just... No, he's not even doing a new version. Do you want to come and watch me press play while we, while we play the lyrics from Roland over this new bit? And do you lads want to start barking at the end to make me stop? That's oh, it. Oh, oh. That's oh, it. Oh. When you hire DMX, you're going to get a uh, and you're going to get a in your track, and that's all you need. He doesn't need to rap. Yes, he does. He's, yeah. a, bar- he's a rapper, not a barker. That's, that's a difference. Six minutes, 24 seconds, baby. Another fucking epic. Ow, 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 ow. <laughs> it's just unpleasant to listen to. Like, even if you were the biggest Roland fan in the world, it would make you go, ugh. You know, mm. and like I know so many people, the, the biggest and biscuit fans, almost all of them hated when they skewed too far into the rap territory. Mm. And I think it should be pointed out them fusing a bit of that heavy metal with a little bit of that rippity rap and a bit of that hippity hop. That was that was that was very good at the time. People wanted to hear that. But man, you gotta keep that fucking dial somewhere in the middle, cause this is fucking sh- oh my god. Punishment. There's a reason why it was kind of bunged on at the end, I guess. Like I say, just for sheer variety's sake alone, when I was fucking dying in this desert of Limp Biscuit, dying for a glass of water, this felt like at least a sip, Kevin. <sighs> Track 15. Here it is. This is here it is. Here's the fucking Citizen Kane of this album. Just in case, you know, this is not fucking Citizen Kane. This is the Inland Empire of fucking Blimp Biscuits. <laughs> this fucking mad. You think it's inscrutable, then you think about it going, no, nah, he's just fucking with us. He just wants to make you feel sick and angry yeah. and get a bit of a headache. Heaven forbid you accidentally forgot to turn your CD off as you were treated to the fucking joyous punishment. Of a little bit of Ben Stiller improv. Fat chat. Ten minutes of laughing. Oh, God. <laughs> I didn't think this could get any worse. I right? thought. And then I had Joe walk in on me listening to this of Ben Stiller laughing for eight minutes. And she said, oh, is that that Attitude Era outtakes compilation you were telling me about? Fuck and I, off. My heart sank. And I looked at her as if to say, not today. Please, now. I can't be dealing with this. I honestly, I knew about the Ben Stiller bit. I thought that was it. I didn't realize that after Ben Stiller's appearance, we get some fucking voicemails as well. Like, and they're not even remotely funny. Like, there is nothing. There's, I remember there's a C6 Steve album where he includes like a voicemail and he's talking to his friend. He's like, I gotta go to a funeral, man. I'm a pole bearer and I only just found out. And it's like, okay. Bit indulgent to put a voicemail in, but at least that's a bit of a funny and an unusual one. This is guys being like, "What? What are you up to, man? Oh, I'm in, I'm in, I'm in London. Are you having, you having some fish and chips? Are you? No, no, I've, I've not got fish and chips here. Artifacts, bullshit. It's so horrible. He does a big laugh, Adam. A big, big old laugh. Mm-hmm. And the problem is, this laugh went on so long that genuinely, if I or anyone I'm with ever meets Ben Stiller, I will make sure the interaction goes such a way 
that he won't be amused or delighted or charmed because I do not want to hear him laugh his fucking bird laugh anymore. I have heard enough of it for one lifetime. If you're meeting Ben Stiller and I'm there, it's going to be a fucking dour affair. Serious stone faces no smiles well speaking of stone faces that's the only possible explanation i can think of is that ben stiller is stoned here it has that big energy of like dude this is so fucking funny and then any sort of same person still on the sidelines just like you guys are tits you're making complete fools of yourself i thought i had like because i had the version that if you put into the pc you get like a music video for my way or whatever in a you know you get a digital download of a wallpaper of fred durst so i thought this was like some sort of a extra extra bonus or oh, you you bought the two disc version so you get all this extra shit mm. no this is this is how the album ends it is and for many people this is how their relationship with with Limp biscuit ends because yeah. i was in the minority when i took it when i checked out results may vary and yeah they did vary greatly from this in that it's a much more low energy dour album and i just i was disappointed i'm not gonna lie revisiting chocolate starfish it does make me want to check out the previous album which i'm starting to think was probably one i was a lot more interested in but it's way less wrestling this is the wrestling album this is the money album this is the limp biscuit album for better or for worse i've got no desire to listen to any more limp biscuit records <laughs> at all now kevin i'm probably gonna listen to my way again at some point in time i might go ahead and put take a look around on my gym playlist outside of that i think i'm done i think i've had my lifetime's worth of fred no, it worked well because if you're in there pumping iron you're like what you know you're thinking about all the critics who are always you know bringing you down and <laughs> making fun of your red cap you're like i went platinum on spotify you know <laughs> <laughs> so you know you've obviously mentioned those songs there that that you got to re-listen to but in the listening back i was going to ask you track of the night or mvp type of thing but i figured <laughs> yeah i figured it'd been quite obvious there were there any songs that either a struck you as like oh yeah i was all about that song back in the day and i just kind of forgot about it and were there any ones where you were like oh actually this may have made me realize i didn't like limp biscuit as i thought i did <laughs> um honestly uh take a look around was better than i remembered it being mm -hmm. Apart from that, My Way and Rolling, still just as good as I remember them. They were, they were pretty fucking solidly golden in my head. I don't think they'll ever age too badly. Yeah. Everything else stank. My generation in particular was very disappointing, wow. I thought. We are, I, we are at opposite ends there, because my generation was proper fucking nostalgia overload for me, I think. And Boiler was the other one which I was surprised because oh, Boiler no. was like, was so silly. Boiler was boring. Oh man, why are you gonna do something like that? Somebody <laughs> like me, like me. <laughs> Stop. Limp biscuit. Can we at least say now that we've we've had like nearly two hours of chatting about this? Yeah. Can we agree we have now exercised Fred Durst from the podcast? There'll be no need. There'll be no need on the SmackDown <laughs> crawl to do any more Fred Durst voices anymore. That's why. That's what happens when he gets kicked off. Like, you know, do you want to throw him off a... Uh, do you want to chuck him off a mountain there? Go on, do it then. Go on. Go on. Can I chuck him into a volcano, Hi-Hatchy style? Fine, do that then if All you right. must. Uh, here he goes. There he goes. And I am making a weird face into the camera as well, just to be sure. That's fine. Don't worry. And everyone at home, don't worry either. In case you worried I was going to get, you know... Uh, bitten by the music bug again from the biscuits and i was gonna like you know 
pivot into a new metal podcast. Uh-uh. No one's got to worry about that. Hey, have you had a listen through of Chocolate Starfish? Has it taken you back on this Christmas period? Was that something that was under your Christmas tree way back when? Because I know it was for a lot of my pals back in the year 2000. It has been a wildly fun time exercising the demons, as you so generously put it, Adam. Yeah, I've, I, I had a damn sight more fun talking about this than I did listening to it three times over the last week. Oh, yeah, I think that's... You've read he, your recommended RDA for limp biscuits for now. If you eat any more, you might get a bit bunged up. So I would say leave it for now. You've had a pack and and then some. Just remember, we were just having a laugh. If you love limp biscuit, it's fine. It's I don't judge anyone for liking limp biscuit. We're just trying to have a bit of fun. But I hate this album, <laughs> and I'm not going to make any apologies for that. Well, folks, it's been a wonderfully wild, slightly different time. Heading back to the year 2000 with the Starfish Navigation System. Courtesy of John Otto, DJ Lethal, Wes Borland, Fred Durst, and Willem Deschamps. (laughs) William Beauchart. Beauchart. Thank you. Beauchart, I think. He did the chocolate starfish and the hot dog. That's what it's all about, baby. And I'm going to go and celebrate in style by watching Mission Impossible 2, eating a Snickers Crunchy, and watching WrestleMania 17. (laughs) Goodbye from this, our album review. It's a goodbye from me, Kevin. And me, Adam. Yeah, we'll see you next time. What did I say? No. No. No more.